This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm really liking the command center we have here on the NX-01. I mean, this place is absolutely amazing. I can't believe they were actually able to install the new PlayStation 24 during our last supply refill. I mean, it's it's amazing. Now, of course, I'm, I'm letting you all know, Boomers, that... I've got this, but I'm going to have to keep this a secret from the rest of the crew or otherwise I'm just never going to get anything, any game time going on in here. So yeah, man, this is just, wait, oh, hey, Brandon, Shay, uh, I know what you're thinking. Hey, I know what you're thinking. This isn't a game. I'm just doing some important tactical first person shooter analysis. Okay. This is important assignment from Starfleet. You know what I'm talking about? Can I join you? Sure. Sure. But, but we have to keep this top secret. Okay, Brandon. I mean, command officer level only, except for T'Pol. She can never, ever know about this. All right? Is that cool? Uh, those Vulcans are always holding us back, man. <laughs> I mean, it will, uh, will, it'll be taken right out. And it, this is the new PlayStation 24, so I haven't even got to have a chance to like break it in yet. So we've got, I mean, we can't let her know about this. All right? No one, no one else can know. Oh, oh wait. Hey, hey, Patrick Devlin. Hey, how's it going, Patrick? Hey, guys. Uh, what are you? You guys training for something? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they we there we couldn't get any time in the armory, so we thought we would work out our uh, like maybe a a simulation type thing in here. Uh, come come on in. Oh. Come on in. Close the door. Close the door. All right. So, so I mean, we okay, Patrick. I was just telling Brandon we've got to keep this a secret, okay? Especially from Tapal. All right, are you are you cool with that? Oh yeah, I'm fine. Plus, I think she's going crazy in the other room anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, I heard her screaming. Just, just close the door. All right, let's put it. Let's... <laughs> it's been a long road getting from that. And that is an interpretation. Uh, there we go. So yeah. Uh, Boomers, for this episode of Warp 5, we're going to be continuing our retrospective series and going deeper into the Delphic Expanse in Season 3. So this section is going to be 
uh, we're going to be hitting part two of season three. So we're going to do the next four episodes and we're because of the season three's continuing arc, we are going to be going right through it, but we're not going to be jumping around like we have done in the past because of the continuity that's going on in this season. But don't worry, we've got other episodes that'll be going in between. So it's not going to be right after the other, but our first retrospective for season three was number 104 and it's titled down with fraggle rock so if you want to catch our earlier season three part one it's 104 so the we've got impulse coming up and then exile the shipment and finally twilight for this section so impulse patrick impulse what did you think about that opening that we had for impulse um, it was interesting. Uh, I didn't really know where they were going to go with it. Um, just a whole lot of screaming and yelling and DePaul acting insane, which is, uh, is nice. Cause usually it's the Vulcans that don't get affected by things. Yep. I, def- I thought it was jarring that cold open. It was, you, know, you don't know what's going on. It's rushing in. And then they start playing the song. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like you said, usually she's the one holding back and she's going just completely crazy. It seemed like. So Brandon, Brandon, how did you react to the cold open that we had there? It's interesting because, you know, I was following along with the text commentary on this one by Mike and Denise Akuda and I had thought about it and they kind of confirmed it. It's the shortest teaser we have ever gotten in Star Trek at 18 seconds. And I don't understand the point of doing a teaser that short. I don't know that I really like a teaser that short. It just seems weird. Like Voyager had a few really short ones. I remember their episode Faces, which is the one where Bolana, I think it was called Faces, the one where Bolana gets split in two, the Klingon and the, you know, that one had like a 30 second intro and whatnot. But I think, and then when you go back in to the episode after the credits, it's still in that scene. And then a little bit into the scene, it goes you know, one day earlier, whatever, however long before it was. So I don't know. I think they should have just had that whole intro be that whole scene. And, and then after the teaser, after the theme song, that's when they went, you know, one day earlier or however many days earlier it was. So I don't know. It's it's weird. It was, it's a pretty short scene. I mean, just imagine this in the days you were watching this on satellite, you're flipping through the channels, you go to watch it and it's over. Like if you missed it, if you're flipping the channels and you go to get to it, the teaser's over and you're in the theme song. You're like, oh, what, do they start it early? Right. I didn't think about that. So, I mean, if you were, if you weren't watching the TV, I mean, just maybe playing on the other side of this, if you weren't looking at it and the TV was on, all of a sudden you hear the screaming, that would make me want to look at the TV. But yeah, if you're not already there, you would have definitely missed it. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was something... Uh, even on this last time, I had actually forgotten about it. And I've seen this a bunch of times. And in, and when I watched it again for this show, it surprised me again. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about her screaming. And wow, it's over already. That, that, it, it, I don't know. It, it did. It shocked me just a little bit. So one of the first things that we see in this episode is Trip and T'Pol talking uh, with Archer in the background. And they're talking about bringing back movie night. So for me, that that just seemed like it was a nice continuity uh, and like real reactions. Like they were talking about how people's morale was down. And as far as just the Zindi attack on Earth and bringing back movie night. So, Patrick, uh, <laughs> what did you think about T'Pol's reaction to bringing back movie night? 
I, I, I made perfect sense because she just shouldn't like it at all. Um, what I liked about that scene better, though, was the the fact that Archer was basically completely against it at first, and Trip kind of talked him into it. Um, you know, because he, he's again, we talked about this in the first retrospective. Archer is just completely uh, driven by the mission at that moment. So he even says, "Oh, after we find this, Indy, we'll have plenty of time for movies." Right. You know, and and I love that part of the scene. And then DePaul doesn't really want to go, and and then she does. I mean, she eventually agrees to to going, or kind of. Well, yeah, the it was kind of like, okay, our only objective is the mission. We don't have time for that. You know, if we have time to watch a movie, then we have time to go uh, scrub a, a a plasma injector, you know, or something like that. You or, got time to or, lean. You got time to clean. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or get some time in the armory. Get get ready. You know, because the the last time we saw the crew, it was in Regine, and they got it handed to them by the reptiles. So, yeah, I could kind of see Archer maybe uh, – we don't have time to watch TV. We, ha- we need to be training or something like that. And I'm sure Major Hayes would totally agree with that. So, Brandon, what, um, what did you think about the crazy asteroid field that we got to see? I thought it was pretty interesting. It was a unique concept that we haven't seen before with these magnetic fields making these – asteroids bounce around and be pushed away from each other or attracted to each other to smash apart and stuff. So it was something different that we haven't seen in a science fiction environment before. I mean, the closest that I can recall would be the asteroid field in Empire Strikes Back, right? Where, But it, this is still a little bit different than that because the asteroids are moving in a much different fashion. And then we also got the overhead shot as they were pulling up to that. So Oh, that, that was re- awesome. Right. That reminded me that you were looking for an overhead shot of the Enterprise, and I completely forgot about them pulling up to this just crazy jumble of asteroids from the overhead shot. I thought that looked amazing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Patrick, did you see the Mako's face over Archer's shoulder as they're making their way through the asteroid field? Like, they, I mean, can you imagine sitting next to that Mako as Archer's trying to fly through this asteroid field, Patrick? Yeah, no, that, that, that wouldn't be a, a fun scenario at all. I mean, this thing is it's the most complicated obstacle course ever created. Exactly, cuz it's actually moving and it's trying right, to and it, it's trying to kill you, you know? Uh, yeah, unreasonably moving. It's it's not it's not following a they're not just moving in a pattern that's oh, if I go here, I'll get through. Right. And then um at right after that, yeah, yeah Seth, seriously, Boomers, when you go back to watch this again, look over Archer's right shoulder at the Mako's face. That actor, you would swear that Scott Bakula is driving the wrong way on traffic, you know, when he did that. But um, think about this. T'Pol and Archer have a little chat right after that. And Archer actually turns and is looking at her. Which I'm not sure how much he would fly by visual anyway. He's probably flying by sensors. But I thought that was kind of funny that they had a little chat. Did you notice that, Brandon? I don't. I'm right off the top of my head, it's not ringing a bell. Yeah, yeah definitely. When, when what were they talking were, about? They, they were, it was, I honestly can't remember. I was thinking at the time, I was like, dude, theirs is not the time to be talking about whatever it was. It was just not the time. And... Then all of a sudden they get right back into it. If I'm the Mako sitting there, I'm like, uh, Captain Archer, do you want me to drive? And Archer would be like, you know, I'm driving. It's like, well, would you please, <laughs> you know, look out. The, would you please face the forward? Because I'm over here scared to death. 
So yeah, it's kind of like eyes on the road, eyes on the road. <laughs> exactly. So the we got to see the cool uh, transporter scene where Mayweather and Tucker are trying to bring in the sample, and the anomaly comes in. So a new one for the maintenance crew. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. It's a really interesting scene because they have this defective anomaly that totally messes up with the full transport, right? And it ends up like embedded in the wall and everything. Like so that was pretty cool. Right. And actually that reminded me of the from Strange New World where they they transported the crewmen in with the leaves mm-hmm. and and they couldn't tell the difference between the leaves. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit. But um yeah. When they get into the ship, though, uh, what what did you think about seeing the inside of the Vulcan ship that was trapped inside there, Patrick? Um, I, I thought it was, it was first. It was it was finally finally we were getting to see more of the Vulcan um, stuff. They you know we've been hearing for years for the, the seasons that they held us back. They have such better stuff, but then they don't show us any of it. Um, you know, and then it has that creepy aura of, you know, like a, like a zombie apocalypse kind of right. movie type deal going on at first. Oh, yeah. Before you really find out what's really going on. Right. Yeah, it definitely had a classic horror movie feel to it. Brandon, you're a you're a horror fan, horror film fan. What, what did you think about it? Well, it, this episode in general, I'm really glad that we got, and I really enjoyed it on this rewatch here, because back in the end of season two... With, uh, is it the Zindi or the Expanse that's the last episode of season two? The Zindi? The Expanse? And it was whichever one the season finale is for, for season two. Um, you had Saval telling this story of these Vulcan ships that have gone into the Expanse. And he said something along the lines of like they were anatomically inverted when they right. came out of there, right? So that you, it leaves these weird imaginations. You know, it leaves it to your mind, to your imagination of what's going on. And usually in science fiction, they just leave it at that and they never really follow it up. Or when you do follow it up, it's never really as bad as they originally made it out to be. Right. So in this, to get the fact that they're actually allergic, basically, to this Trellium D and it causes them to go insane. And that's why I'm really glad that we got a follow up to explain it. And I find it to, to be a believable because the interesting it's an interesting reversal in that Vulcans are usually immune to everything in Star Trek. Everything that affects humans doesn't affect Vulcans. So it's kind of nice to see something that only affects the Vulcans and doesn't affect the humans. Uh, that's a great point. That's a great point. So basically what we had was we had a ship that went into the expanse and what uh, Saval was talking about was a Klingon ship had actually tried to come out and they made their way. They were able to make it out of the expanse, but they were all turned inside out. Mm-hmm. The, the Vulcan yeah, ship, ship then. Yeah. Right. And the Vulcan ship was inside the expanse and they got the log back from it, but they actually ended up like destroying themselves yeah. So the ship that we actually see in this episode is the one that was sent to rescue the Vulcan ship right. that ended up just being destroyed. So yeah, I, I do like that they had an explanation for it. It wasn't just magic or just you know whatever you know was going on that made them you know go crazy or destroy their ship or whatever. We actually had a reason, you know, maybe like a scientific reason. They're actually allergic to this substance. So yeah, that was great. And they they also show there when you're watching it, uh, if you blink, you miss it. 
they actually show how they're actually lining the hull with the Trillium D mm-hmm. on the Vulcan ship. And yeah, they mentioned, right. And they mentioned that, uh, in this episode and then like future episodes, how they're going to line the hull of a, a shuttle pod. And it was kind of like, how do you line the hull of it with this? So you actually get to see it though in that scene. Yeah, and I and the way that it's shown on screen, it it almost looks like they'd be like icing a cake. You know, you take this trellium D, you melt it down, and then you like spread it on the on the hull, and that's what helps to protect it. So that's how I see it, anyways. Right. Yeah. So or like kind of mm, like play, like like play doh or like like a clay or something. So uh, we find out with T'Pol's exposition to the Mako because he was asking her like, "Ma'am, you seem like you're kind of agitated. You know, you looks like you need a drink. You know, that kind of thing." Oh. Uh, Patrick, it is confirmed that Vulcans are just really good at faking it. I mean, you, you've probably been suspecting that all along, though, right? A, a little bit, just a tiny bit. <laughs> right. Um, no, it, but that it, it's. I like the the change as she gets more and more annoyed too. It's not just she's the Paul, then she's crazed lunatic. It's it, it's little things happen, kind of, and lead right into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine that Jolene Blaylock had a good time with this because she's usually having to hold back. You know, and on this one, it was just different. You know, I mean, she didn't have to hold back. She could just let loose on him. Uh, there was at one point where uh, Archer asked her a question or something and she didn't hear him. And then she he asked her again and she just yells, what? At him, like screams it at him, what? And it just, it, right. it kind of made, made me feel like she probably is wanting to say that all along, but she's holding back. You know, maybe even when the Trillium D is not bothering her. What do you want, human? Right, exactly. So the next episode that we had was Exile. And I can say that I didn't, I wasn't that impressed with this episode the first time I saw it. Or like, or even on my first rewatch, I wasn't that impressed with it. But now I really like this episode. I really, really like it. So, Brandon, what, did you, what do you think about Exile? I think it's a really fascinating episode. It's it's quite moody and dark and you know, I like those kinds of episodes. Again, it's it it's a very understated episode and it's a very strange episode to put in the middle of this arc that's going on. Like we get this alien who's like this is basically like a Beauty and the Beast story, you know, in the middle of the expanse and you got this guy, to me he looks like a crab. Like, he's got these weird crab legs coming out of his head or something. I just want to, you know, cook them and smother them in garlic butter and then, you know, eat them up. But uh, you probably wouldn't taste that good. Um, But it's interesting that it didn't really go where you were expecting it to go. I mean, when they showed these graves outside, you were expecting him to maybe... I don't know, he's like some soul sucker or something like that. And that's what that's what Star Trek generally does when you find these bad guys. They suck their souls dry, and that's how that's how they survive for so long and whatnot. And I get the impression from this guy that, you know, while what he was doing was kind of wrong in forcing these I'm assuming they were all women. I don't think they said whether it was man or a woman for any of the other ones. But, you know, he lures these people to his planet, holds them there against their will until they learn to love him, basically, right? You know, but it's interesting that he just wants the companionship. I didn't get the impression that he was actually taking anything more than companionship from these people, right? So you have sympathy for this person. What he was doing is wrong, but you do have sympathy for him. Yeah, and I've thought about that. I mean, he's been exiled to this planet, and he has not. He doesn't have contact, and he's got the antenna crystal that he's got there, and that's the only. And he can only communicate with certain people. 
And it just so happens that, you know, as big as space is that someone happens to come within reach that he can actually speak to their mind. I mean, it's really kind of a sad thing. And, and you, and you do have some sympathy for the guy, but then, you know, the way he goes about it, it's kind of creepy, you know? So like when the, it shows them walking up to the castle and I got, I get the feeling of original series there in the original series. We had a castle scene, like the front of a castle scene. It comes up in the cage. It comes up in cat's paw, like the star Trek castles. This reminded me so much of those original series castles, or, I mean, it's one castle, but it appears in those episodes. So I thought, I thought that was pretty neat. So what, what did you think about the setting that we had there, Patrick? I think I think actually Brendan hit it on the head. It, it it even the castle gives you like the Beauty and the Beast feel, and it gives you this. Um, it, it gives it gives you kind of a weird feeling because you don't really know. Like this guy offers to help, so they go, and then you get to this eerie, creepy looking castle, and you get inside the castle, and everything in there is kind of creepy looking. So now you start wondering what's going really going on here. Is he actually a Zindi? Is he not? Is he helping them? Is he not? And um. I don't know. It just, um, it, it just, it, it was the whole episode had an eerie feel to it from start to finish. Right. And I know, I know this is a, a, it's, it's a take on the beauty and the beast, but you know, I also get a feeling of Dracula from this. I mean, I am a, sure, I'm yeah, a horror, yeah. I'm a horror fan anyway, and especially the classic horror. And I actually kind of get a little bit of a Bram Stoker's Dracula feel from this. You know, he's basically, he lives alone. He's trying to get a companion. I mean, I know that's not really what this is toward, but I mean, it could be. I mean, I, I get a feeling of it. And, sp- and then with the graves outside, it was. Yeah, and even the way the castle is, is done, the, the the deck, the you know, the way it's upheld, I, I could see a Dracula feel. Right, and it's almost one of those, you know, I don't know if he tells her not to go in certain parts of the castle. But I mean, that's a, that is part of the Bram Stoker's Dracula is when he tells uh, Harker, you know, you can go, go in the castle, but don't go in, you know, just anywhere. Don't go in this wing or don't go there because the castle's so old and that kind of thing. And I, I just get a, I get a feeling of Dracula when I watch that, you know, even well, you more. you said don't go outside, right? He did tell her one area, don't oh, right. go outside. Right. That's and right. in Beauty and the Beast that he also does that. I mean, I think of the Disney Beauty and the Beast okay. where he's like, don't go in the West Wing because it's forbidden, right. <laughs> you know, right? right. But, but. Because um, he doesn't want her to see the rose, but. And I digress into my Disney fandom. Um, Tale as old as time. <laughs> oh, no. Blah, 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 blah. That's the words. and the beast. Okay. So. Yeah, he, makes like a, he makes like a weak excuse about wind because he doesn't want her to see the, the graves. Right. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That That is true, actually. So. I, to me, I get a very classic TOS feel from this episode. I guess it's because of the, the castles though, you mm. know, it's, and I, I, I feel it. I feel it, you know, being an original series fan also and, and an enterprise fan, I, I can definitely see the connection here and they just take it a little bit farther. You get to see a little bit more of the castle. You get to see a little bit more of what's going on in the scene. You know, I mean, we can do that because of our budget and things like that, but we had some really cool effects, speaking, speaking of budget here. So uh, I assume we're getting close. Uh, Archer knew that because of his ball getting stuck on the, 
on the wall. Oh, that was awesome. When he's bouncing it, oh, he yeah. gets just stuck in the wall. Yes, that's so neat. You know, and and the, remember, we had already had the thing where Archer knew they were getting close in previous episodes, where his his cup flew up and got stuck in the air. You know, so I mean, we've we've skipped a little bit of time. They're still running through these things occasionally, but they're getting better at, at dodging them apparently. But the the ladder effect, the ladder effect in the was it the shuttle? Mm-hmm. Was it shuttle engineering? Bay? I thought wasn't it? Yeah, like where it it. It like crushed it, and then flipped over. I thought that was so cool. The ladder effect looked was, was so cool. But yeah, they're, they're getting a lot better with their anomalies now. Not just crates flying back and forth, right, and nothing right. blowing up with a cheesy yeah, joke. Yeah, first that first episode, it's just like, ooh, crates. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Is anything explosive? We'd know by now. Awesome. <laughs> right. Like, but no, it's getting a lot better, and and the lines are even getting better after them. Um, this is also the first time they realize that there's like 50 of them, right? Like the spheres. This episode. Right. You know, instead of just being one and then maybe two, they realize that the they don't really line up perfectly. So they run a model and there's, there's 50 spheres out there. And this is when they first start talking about, well, why is someone trying to create the Expanse? Which plays huge later on. Oh, yeah. Right. And oh, since yeah. we have Patrick on this episode here, right, we do have to have a math educational moment right now, Patrick. So uh, <laughs> we're just going to pause right now. And just so you guys know, water boils at what temperature, Patrick? Um, in what? What, which one are we doing I don't, here? I, I, I have Celsius. no idea. I know that it freezes at zero <laughs> Celsius. Is it 30? Forget it. It's terrible math. 212. Is it what? Fahrenheit. Really? Fahrenheit is 212, yeah. Is it? There you go. Look at Thanks, Patrick. The and more it's 100 you know. Celsius. Is that 100 Celsius? <laughs> yes. I, know. It was, I just turned my stove on maximum, and then I just wait. <laughs> well, I mean, Back Brandon's to the show. In, he's in. We have Brandon to knows when things people. freeze. I mean, it's cold in Canada most of the time. You know, he knows when it's, things yeah, freeze. Yeah, I highly doubt right? you have a lot of boiling water. <laughs> nice today. It's warm. I didn't wear my jacket to work even. It was like, yeah, it was like plus 18 Celsius today. That's pretty warm. Wow. Oh, here we go again. Oh, great. So this episode so, actually ends in direct continuity with the creepy visiting in the quarters thing. I mean, he, he actually, he's like, hey, I, I wanted to give you one last bit of advice. You need to go to this place because they're doing something there. So I thought that was pretty neat that they had direct continuity in. And so much so that the next episode, the shipment starts with last time on Enterprise. They actually mm-hmm. do that. And they mention. Yes, which is rare. Right. And they mention the last. Uh, they mention the alien, the exiled alien. I can't, can't, can't remember his name right now. But. George. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> sure. And. Who, who looks more like a cockroach I, to me, though. So we end up at the shipment. And we've got Archer, Reed, and Hayes are going to go on a secret mission here. They're going to go down and they're going to do some recon and they're going to hide the NX-01 behind the moon, which I, I thought that that was a really cool scene whenever they would show from, from behind there. So I loved the sets and the setting of this episode. So Brandon, what did you think about the sets here? They weren't on location. These were sets, right? right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I think they did a really good job of it. You know... Um, what's that guy's name? Greylick? Right. Yeah, so Greylick, man, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but his his room, like his house, 
totally made me think of Planet of the Apes. Yes, definitely made me think of Planet of the Apes. Thank you so much. Just for the noticing. style design and the way it was. Now he didn't. He kind of looked like maybe you know Doctor Zeus or something like that a little bit, but you know, right. I don't know if that was intentional or not there too, but yeah, his the, his house totally looked like Cornelius and Zeus' place in the original Planet of the Apes. Yep, and I can just imagine that that's what the like the most of the settlement would look like is what, yeah. that scene that we get to see from behind from the Planet of the Apes. Yes, that that's get that's your a great stinking catch. paws off me, you damn dirty Zindi. Right. So, Patrick. Uh, we had Archer and Reed discuss destroying the facility. And Archer has this comment to him, you know, like basically we had Commander Kaboom and Corporal Kill 'em all. You know, let's we gotta take everybody out, including Grillic here. So what did what did you think about Archer's reaction to uh what Reed was suggesting? Well, I'm kind of back at where we were in the last retrospective where I wanted him to actually pull the trigger for once. And this is after I actually started to like Greylick and, and stuff. But I, I just, I wanted him to not st- stand down and do the right thing for once. Right. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I just wanted him to blow something up, even if it was symbolic. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, Reed and Hayes both, uh, Reed asked to speak freely when they let Greylick go, uh, talk to the, to the Zindi that were showing up to buy the, the chemocyte and Reed told him, you know, I think you're making a mistake. And Hayes mentions that. And then Archer jumps on him. Like, are you speaking freely? You know? And, Oh yeah. And he wusses out quick. He's like, Oh, tactical, tactical. Right. Right. But you know, Reed and Hayes, I don't think would have had a problem with Archer going ahead and doing that thing. You know, that thing that we were talking about. And we actually mentioned that on the Raisine when we were talking about it on the retros- the last retrospective for season three about how, you know, she wouldn't be getting off the ship. That's what I was thinking on that. I don't know. Greylick might not be telling tales, you know, if, if, yeah. in, a, in a different situation. I know. I, I get, you know, it's it's you only have so much time in an episode to build the rapport between the characters. So. I, but I don't know if what they went through in that episode would be enough for me to trust them, you know, if, if I was Archer. I mean, some of the scenes were good. They ended up, some some of it was pretty bad, too. But, like, they end up shooting the Seekers, but one kind of gets away, and yeah. they're like, oh, we saw more bodies, more life signs. I was by myself. And they're just like, eh, okay, come on. That is true. That but, is true. And then what's up with Reed? Like, Reed can't hit his. You know, he's right. He's, like, he's Commander you're, Kaboom. You're the head security guy. <laughs> right. Gee, no wonder the Makos had to come. Right. <laughs> but it was just, I, I don't know. They And then he brings him to a, a cave. So now Archer hasn't killed him yet, right? Or, or anybody. And he brings him into a cave to hide from the Seekers. And then he goes, oh, you're going to kill me too? Well, why'd you bring me here then? If you really thought that's what was going to happen. Right. And I like the episode a lot, but it's just there's a few little stupid things that go on. See, I didn't have a problem with Greylick's response to it because I don't think, you know, Greylick didn't know what's going on. And I really got the impression I believed Greylick. I believed him that he didn't know what this chemocyte was being used for. I believed him that 
you know, they just got excited by the amount of money they could make off of this. And so here's this guy who just comes up to him waving a gun saying the stuff you're selling is being used to kill a bunch of people. And he's like, what are you talking about? So with Archer waving this gun at him, he doesn't really know what Archer's going to do. So I kind of found it believable, his reaction. You know, are you going to kill me? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill all of us? And I don't think that Archer knew what he was going to do at that point. You know, he had to, he, he ended up trusting him, which is what we like and what we want to see out of our hero. But I don't know, it worked for me. Maybe it's because I like the actor that played Greylock a lot that I, that I like him. Like he played two different Klingons in Star Trek prior to this. He was in the Star Trek D Space Nine episode crossover, um, which is in the mirror universe. And then he played the Klingon in the chase, which is the one when they find all that, uh, DNA or whatever scattered about the universe, and that's how come everybody looks the same. Uh, but the actor's name is John Cothran, and I really like him a lot. So very good. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to get confused. I, I like Gray like a lot. I just, I just felt that was a poorly written scene. And when while we're talking about bad scenes, I, I didn't mention this in the last one. Uh, just to go back real quick, when the when the thruster accidentally fires when they're on the uh, sphere, and they shoot the thr- for, again, no one can hit anything. <laughs> And then when they finally do shoot it, it falls back down in a weightless environment. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, there's two things, and I don't know why this hit me on this rewatch, but every time the Enterprise goes by in in space, you get the Doppler effect, which just doesn't make sense. But I guess that's better than listening to dead air while the thing flies by. And for some reason, this time, it, it annoyed me. And I guess, and, and that scene... I kind of guess myself that the sphere would have had a little bit of gravity. It would have been generating its own gravity field because they go inside one of them at one point. Right. Yeah, I guess, but that, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. It's not spinning fast enough to do that. It doesn't have the, it's a small moon. That's no moon. if If we went to the moon and I pushed you, you'd disappear forever if I threw you hard enough. And I would assume a thruster that can lift off a moon does that. Well, I, I wrote it off as that it, it is creating some gravity and maybe it wasn't far enough away, but it got away so easily. You know, that thruster didn't seem like it was doing that no, much. it was one little thruster. Okay, come on, you, you're circle. worried about the gravity here and you don't care about the transporters? <laughs> like, like transporters <laughs> we, are believable or something. You you solve that problem. They you go to the fifth dimension and come back. Like that's believable, all right? It's all nuts. <laughs> you know, yeah, a bunch of astronauts episode, on some kind though. of Star Trek. Right. <laughs> so, Brandon, you were you were going somewhere on that when you were talking about uh, Archer's view of of them, and then as far as Grealick can goes, he's seeing Archer as a crazy person with a gun in his face, standing in his yeah, living exactly. room. So what's he going to believe? I mean, when when later when he's told that there's these crazy people that are going to kill us as a species, then he, it would be pretty believable considering that's how Archer saw him and Hayes and Reed all run into his house with a gun in, their, in his face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Archer's actually coming into this assuming everyone of the species is in on it. Right. And uh, as viewers, we are as well. Right. And... This is this actually helps like universe building. I mean, we don't just have everyone believing the same religion and we don't have everyone believing the same thing like we've actually had on other series. I mean, with this, you know, for Enterprise, we have Klingons that aren't just warriors. They can do other things. And for this, we have a Zindi that's not just trying to kill all humans. 
Like he right. doesn't even he doesn't even know about Earth. He doesn't even know about humans. He's a businessman. He's trying to make some cash. Well, this is this is, and uh, we talked about this a lot last retrospective, but we haven't really this one. This, this to me sounds is screaming of a commentary on the post nine eleven um, Islamophobia. Right. Everyone in America just assumed every Muslim wanted every American dead. You know, at first, and then he kind of started to realize, oh, well, you know, some of them live here already. Right. Like they they don't want that. They're not the same. Um, and but and then the other part of that too is with Archer running in waving a gun like a lunatic. That's how a lot of other countries saw the U.S. military right. at times. So who's the bad guy? It depends you know, on which side of the gun you're standing. Your perspective. On. Right. So, yeah, this is definitely an example that not everyone of a group shares the same views as the leaders. You know, I mean, you you can go back to a lot of wars. You know, there there would be def there would be just regular citizens that really wouldn't have you know a problem, or they're not really to blame for what their countries what their countries are doing because certain leaders are making these decisions. I mean, you can go all the way down the line, like the history of our planet, basically, for wars on that. And I I thought this was a nice mention, a nice commentary that actually Archer learned something here. Mm-hmm. Just because they're Zindi doesn't mean they hate humans, and we we can we can have a dialogue. We can have maybe not a friendship, but at least an understanding. Which is basically the Greylick's last line, Dan. Exactly. He's he's like, you know, please remember that not all Zindi are this. Uh, I forget the exact wording, but are the same or want you dead or something along those lines. Right. And Greylick actually tells him like when he's going to go talk to uh, to the Zindi you know, and go, go basically run interference for them. He was like 7 million people. I don't intend to let anything else like that ever happen again, you mm-hmm. know, or at least not because of me. So, yeah, I thought that was definitely, uh, well, I love the, um, the conversation they had when, uh, Oh man, I just had it in my head and it's gone. That was quick. Um, well, when he, when Archer tells him, you know, they're eventually going to f- figure out that you set them up. Oh. And he kind of just took it as I can ha- I can handle myself because I just really don't agree with what they're doing at all. Definitely. So the, on the B plot, we've got uh, we, we've got things going on on the ship. We've got uh, those Trip. guns. Yeah, Trip is checking out the weapon, and he's got Tapal and he's got Flox helping him out check out the weapon. And we had the organic component in the weapon, which I thought was so cool. That was so cool, so science fiction. Mm-hmm. with the way it was. And then it was booby trapped to only work for that specific species. Mm-hmm. That's just, that was just genius. I thought that was so awesome. Yeah. And, and this is what well, technically in the, in the line, like this is the first time you've seen a phaser or something like that on overload. Right. Right. As far as the timeline goes, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. And I, I, I interpreted it that the gun itself was programmed to read the DNA of like a Zindi, you know, reptilian or whatever. And that's the only people that could fire that weapon. That's, that's how I interpreted I it. Right. Even, even if like a, even if a, uh, a Zindi primate tried to use it, I would say, I would think it would do the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, that it's, it's, it's one of those science fiction deals. They kind of mix through other genres. Like, uh, I don't know, a really bad movie. Judge Dredd had that kind of theory in it with the guns and, but from like the late '90s and early 2000s, they were trying to figure out how can we give police officers weapons that others couldn't take from them in in a riot situation, and this was kind of the answer. You have a a worm that lives in the gun, and if it doesn't read the right bio signs, kaboom! Right. I, yeah, I thought that was really well, cool, and I actually yeah, I, I, ju- 
I would just set it to blow up faster, though. Yeah, it was like, I've got a countdown, and you've got, like, 10 minutes. Yeah, right? 17 <laughs> minutes to get somewhere else. Right, you've got like... 10 minutes to drop this weapon and run away, you know? But uh, on that scene, it is pro- – I mean, it was never mentioned that Tripp played football, but he had to have played football. I mean, did you see him drop that crewman with that? With that the- was so bad. Right? He, he barely missed the step. Right. And then the stunt man, I got to give the stunt man props on that because he completely sold out on that thing. When you all go back and watch this, he's like dude, laying on the ground. He doesn't move. He is bleeding no, man, he, after this. He died. He died. That was it. His life ended. I mean, you might as well let the thing blow up. Just hand it to him. Right. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Trip definitely played football, or he should have. Oh my gosh, he ran over that crewman <laughs> and he's a rugby wow. player. Oh yeah, definitely rugby. There you go. There you go. No, we don't need pads. We can just go. We'll just run. We'll just yeah. Run he went right through him and kept going. <laughs> so then after shipment, we came to twilight. Oh, we gotta go. There's one more thing we gotta say about shipment here. Oh, okay. So we got a lot of backstory on the Zindi species as well in this. Oh episode, yes, right? definitely, definitely. So they start talking about the avians, and we find out that there's actually there was six species. This this civil war that they had lasted almost a hundred years, right? And then the final thing that ended the war was that the insectoids and the reptilians blew up the Zindi homeworld by like putting these bombs along the fault craters or the right. fault lines of their planet and blowing up. And the guys like. I, I, in order for me to accept this, I just have to assume that they didn't realize the damage it was going to cause. You know, like that's that's some really fascinating backstory for this culture. That is true. I mean, they're, they're, it's already amazing that they have six species, but then that they they actually didn't get along. Mm-hmm. You know, so Patrick, what what do you think about that? One of the the first things that hit my head when they when they talked about this was, man, not only are we stuck in a war with these guys, but they're actually hardened troops. They, they, I mean, they're all used to battle with people with a lot better guns and and technology, which then begs the question: What is this little ship going to do? But you know, back to bad science. Well, the only thing that we can do is try to talk them off of it because we definitely can't fight them. You know, especially the reptiles. The reptiles are ready to fight. And they're, they're all they're They've been a hundred years of training of fighting each other. They're ready to fight somebody else. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. So the next episode that we went to is twilight. So this was, uh, another standalone episode that's kind of partially related to the Zindi. I mean, it is, it's really related to the Zindi, but it is kind of a, it's kind of a stop and pause type episode. So what did you think, Patrick, when you saw the, the way we got going here and we actually got to see the weapon destroy Earth? What, what were you thinking when you saw this the first time? I didn't know where they were going. I thought it was insane. Um, you know, like, this is, it's, it, it all, it all, uh, it happened so quick. You're like, oh man, did this, is this a re, is this what, is he dreaming? Is someone asleep? Is this a nightmare? Where are we going yeah, I was I was surprised at it. I mean, and we, and we actually got to see it happen. Like you had been mm-hmm. imagining what it would look like because they had mentioned that this could happen, and then it happens. And oh, oh my gosh, you know what? It what is this? You know, it, you expect maybe like to Paul or somebody to like wake up from like a nightmare, you know, or or you're hoping that that's what this is. But yeah, that was that was very very interesting. 
you're, you're praying it's a nightmare, but it actually had a really cooler and much cooler uh, reset button, in my opinion. Right, that is true. So, Brand- Brandon, what did you think about that? I like the episode. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of time travel episodes and stuff. And while this is not exactly a time travel episode, it's like kind of a time travel episode because these this parasites live outside of time. And it's one of those time travel elements that when you sit down and talk about it, they don't hold up. But it doesn't detract away from the episode for me at all. And I think it's a really interesting episode. And I like seeing these kinds of episodes where you get these alternate futures. Like it makes me think of it makes me think of the inner light. It makes me think of all good things, you know, where you get this kind of, you know, uh, the visitor where you get these alternate futures you know, and seeing your crew in different situations. You know, I love some of the cool callbacks that are in here, like SETI Alpha 5, where they end up going, which is cool. You know, it's just nice to see those little Easter eggs that are there for the loyal, long-term Star Trek fans. That's like, oh, they went there to be safe. No matter what, they're going to be dead anyways in another 100 years or whatever when it blows up, right? But, uh, you know, it's nice to get those callbacks that are just kind of placed there for us. Um, so I like the weapon a lot, or sorry, I like the episode a lot. I think it's cool that we see the Zindi weapon destroy Earth. You know, it's this big payoff for something that they've been talking about for, well, we're a third of the way into the season now, right? Right. With this episode. So they've been talking about it quite a bit. Yeah, I, the SETI Alpha 5 was a nice, because when I heard it, I'm like, is that really what it is? You know, because, man, since I watched Star Trek 2 the last time when I saw I saw this I was like, is that really what they're talking about here? And, you know, I went and looked it up like, oh, yeah, the future home of Khan, you know, and, and Trip actually mentions that it's barely Minshara class. And they had mentioned that to uh, when they were going to put Khan there, that it's going to be like rough, basically. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, cut out a civilization or cut out a living out of this place. It's rough, you know, and then. Right. And there's and. In in Khan, you see it as a desert. So he and he even makes a little quirky comment, a little more blue and green. Right. Well, actually, for for, for when we see it with Khan, it was because the SETI Alpha Four or SETI Alpha Three SETI or Alpha something, Six SETI Alpha Six had actually exploded, which knocked SETI Alpha Five off of its right. like closer in orbit to the sun, which destroyed all the the life, you know, or made it like made it much more warmer on on the planet. So. Yeah, that was definitely a cool callback. Uh, when he wakes up in that bedroom, it has pieces of his, basically his uh, his, his quarters. Yeah, his quarters yeah. from the ship. And then when they show him, when he walks outside, you get to see that they've used pieces of the ship to actually put this thing together. So that was like, wow, that that could happen. You know, that mm-hmm. could happen if they if they actually are able to succeed on this. And the reason why it's also believable is, you know, 12 years later, and oh, she's still just a lieutenant. <laughs> right. right. She has shorter right. hair, but yeah, she's not. She, and, she hasn't got her own ship and, yet, right? Uh, and, and read his mirror verse. Yeah, he's got the goatee. With the goatee. And that's how he becomes a captain of a ship that explodes. Yes. So yeah, I thought it was cool, though, seeing the possible future of uh, promotions that you had going on. You know, with Captain Tucker and Captain Reed, uh, Hoshi definitely needs her own ship. You know, I mean, the only thing I could say is the only reason she doesn't have one is because she doesn't want it, you know, but I thought that was interesting that she wasn't, she wasn't promoted beyond that, but yeah, it was definitely, it was kind of cool getting to see that. And you, you can think that maybe not in these circumstances, but if we had future seasons, you know, or even beyond, beyond the, the series that this is how it could turn out. Like the fleet 
is going to be manned and captained by the veterans of the NX-01. I mean, these are the the, the most experienced uh, crewmen or officers that we have in the entire Starfleet because they're the ones that are out there doing this thing. So I could see them all getting their own ships. And we get to see that really cool ship where the warp nacelles kind of come over the saucer section a little bit. Yep. I'm sure that, that that's been given a name for a type of class of ship. But, uh, you know, I think that's a, I don't think we've seen that type of ship before, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it, that was you, cool. It kind of had like half of the one saucer. That, mm. Yeah, that, well, that was the one Reed was supposed to right, take. Right, And then it blows up. So. They actually mentioned the name of that ship. So, yeah. Uh, it, uh, the George. Someone and I, I think. Yeah, everything's right. George. The USS George. Um, so, uh, no, but you know what, you know what I found interesting about this episode is, in this, this has always been a, a I've always been confused as the seasons have gone on where T'Pol and Archer kind of sit. Because it, it, it seems in the beginning it's, well, they hate each other, but they can't stand to be around each other. And then they like each other, and then you think they start to like-like each other, and then it's more like a father-daughter kind of relationship. And then he basically becomes uh, 50 first dates, and she falls in love with him. <laughs> so <That's great. laughs> That is true. <laughs> So, it's like sit down and I'll tell you again, and I might not give you as many details yeah. this time, you know. Right, and even he says I, that must suck for you. And she's like, I usually kind of just kick a can at you and leave me alone. <laughs> like she, like, no details. Look, you can't remember crap. You're old. Your hair's gray. Leave me alone. Right. Leave me alone, old man. But okay, so now Archer asks, how far did our relationship go? And I don't think their relationship went that far. Myself, like she just gives him kind of that look and doesn't answer him, but. Honestly, she says it evolved. Yeah, or or she says evolved, and he's like, "How far did it evolve?" Right? Like, and the you know the fans are left to wonder whether or not it got intimate, but I don't think that it did. Like, if a person's memory is fading after a few hours, you're not gonna, especially if every time he wakes up or whatever, he thinks he's still in command of the ship, and then she has to tell him, "There's no way that in a day." They would have a romantic relationship, and the next day it would get erased, and then they would have a relationship. Adam Sandler had kids. Yeah, but that's a comedy. 50 first dates. <laughs> but, no, I, I actually agree with the point. But, no, but I still think, no, I don't think it got to that point. But it's obvious that she loves him because um, Flox keeps, like, begging her to tell him. Right. And I think that also comes with a little bit of that regret or something because he actually saved her. You know, he, he knocked himself out, you know, or he was trying to save her. Right. So then she has felt obligated to take care of him. And then just probably just being close to him. You know, she, you know, there might be some fondness, but I don't think the relationship went that far. You know, I think like he mentions at the end that she could make someone like a great nurse. I kind of, I bet that's as far as it really got. I mean, she might've had feelings for him, but he never knew that. I mean, of course he didn't because he never remembered anything, but you know. Right. And even if he did, he forgot it like six seconds later. (laughs) Exactly. um, uh, But, but again, um, now see, that was a debate. Because when I was watching this, I was actually watching them with my wife, and um, and she when she saw that scene, she goes, "Well, does he remember she was his nurse for whatever years?" Explaining time travel is really complicated, um, and I'm like, "No, it's." And then I don't really is it a residual memory that still fades back with like the implication is it's all gone. She, it never happened. That's the implication that I get out of the end. Right, but when he makes that comment, it's like, well, maybe there's some memories that still. They don't. They sit there, but they're not 
he doesn't know it. He doesn't know for a fact. He doesn't know at all that she was a right. nurse. But you would think before that episode happens, he wouldn't even ask her to get the pillow or turn down the lights or tell her she was a good nurse. Her bedside manner would be atrocious. But did you did you all see Vulcans her look on her be. face though? I love that at the end. You make oh you she make was so nurse. annoyed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, I wish you died. Like that's what she looked like. I wish you died. But um, unfortunately, we went back to a really cheesy effect with the anomaly that hurt him. But yeah, it's just a roll, rolling floor yeah, again. That's true, and just kind of washed over him. Yeah, and. And then, you know, he can't remember anything. Right. But you know what? That, the the reason that it was happening was because of these parasites that were in some kind of a temporal flux and all that. So think about this. Think about this. Usually Enterprise has callbacks or homages to the original series. But that actually reminds me of uh, the last episode of The Next Generation where you had the temporal uh, whatever it was that gets bigger in the past and it's smaller in the future. And they have to go and they have to do the thing where, you know, we have to do it all in the same place to make it go away or something. That kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Maybe they may have been touching on, you know, giving maybe a little bit of a shout out to TNG with that. I don't know. I might be stretching for that one, though. It had similarities in the in the plot lines of how to get rid of it, though. Um what I liked about it is they didn't know it was out of time until they until they got rid of it the right. first time. Oh yeah, because they he no. looked and saw after like so many uh, X rays or scans over right all from the years, twelve years ago. And it was actually gone from those scans. So that, that yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. They thought it was just out of out. See of, that doesn't hold uh, up for me, but that's okay. It phase. doesn't affect the episode. That just does. If you sit down and think about it, I'm like that just doesn't hold up. It's like the Terminator. So the guy. John Connor sends him back in time to be his dad. Well, who sent him back the first time? Oh, it was always John. No, come on, man. That just falls apart. That doesn't work. It's the time travel <laughs> James- thing, man. Well, come no, on, James Cameron. Write problem, a proper story. The bigger problem I have, and please don't take 12 years to do it, but um, <laughs> the bigger problem I have with that holding up is, okay, so they, they, do, they, they do the thing and it disappears in the past, which is awesome. I'm okay with that. I can follow that tilt the twirl of nonsense and be okay with it. But my problem is then they shouldn't remember it was there 12 years exactly. ago. So he should never notice that it didn't happen exactly. 12 years ago. I'm like the Vulcan Science Academy, man. Time travel's not possible. <laughs> but it is. Nope. Yes, nope. the problem is you can only time travel back to the first time travel. <laughs> 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 I had I'm just, just exploded. I'm gonna go with Jan- I'm gonna go Janeway in this man. Time travel makes my head hurt. You know, <laughs> this was a video podcast. I'd insert a clip from that movie Scanners and like just. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So Patrick, what did you think about this uh, group of episodes that we had here? Pretty strong, right? I yeah, and I, I love these episodes. They all. Like you said, this isn't directly, the last one's not directly tied, but they're all tied into the story. We don't have like a throwaway like we did in the last one, really. Not a true throwaway. Um, My least favorite of the episodes is the first one we discussed. Because I'm just really sick of Vulcans have a separate set of things than humans do, and nothing that affects humans affects them and vice versa. Um, I guess. And I just... I guess I don't like Vulcans, but, um, racist, uh, species, I guess, yeah. species, but yeah, species, get it right. Species. <laughs> but, um, 
No, I, I just, I don't know. I, just the fact that she's always the reset button. I'm kind of glad that she's the one who got got affected this time. But it's still just the same old same, just in reverse order now. Um, but every other episode I really love. I, I like, even though I made fun of all the science and everything, I really do enjoy all the episodes in there, um, and including the, the last one with all its craziness and even the way he, like, destroys them after he's dead, but it still works and it's okay. Um, so I don't know. I, it's, it's one of my, it's, it's, it's one of the better blocks of four you're going to find, I think. Yeah, that's true. So Brandon, what did you think about our, our, our group that we had here? I think that this block of four is definitely much stronger than the first block of four. Um, I think all of these episodes are really, really, really good. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I can't say much beyond what we've been talking about already, but all four of these ones I really enjoyed, and uh, I'm I'm excited to be doing this deep dive into season three. Oh yeah, yeah. This this group it, it was really strong, you know. And then right after this, we have North Star, and then it just kind of just keeps on going. And it's boy, season three is so made for binging. On this, you get into this. I can't imagine waiting a week or two between these episodes, especially with the, the, the deep continuity that they actually have. I just can't imagine now with some of these, you know what else is made for binging potato chips. <laughs> okay. Once you pop, you just right. can't stop. You can't eat just one. Right. So Vulcan zombies is not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the ready room. It's interesting how they're doing the casting. But I think it would be nice to actually have two ships involved because one thing that I feel Star Trek has long suffered from, even with Deep Space Nine, which did try to break out of it a bit, is that small world syndrome. Standard orbit. And then they kept calling and they said, oh, okay, what do you want your writer's credit to read? I said, oh, I wanted to read William Stape, whatever, and Stape. And I wanted to put my initial in there, whatever, my bills. She's like, okay, whatever. And then I remember once they called and I said, could it read story by? And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, because that's a different level of pay. And I have to pay you a lot more. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. So that was a little naivete, a little bit, you know. The Orb. This is another thing that we're, we're seeing all over the world, but this whole idea that just because something is hard, we should avoid it. But that is absolutely untrue. I mean, just look at your life, look at my life, I look at anybody's life, and the, the things where people have learned the most have been the hard things. To the journey! Yeah, she's like, trust me, Tuvok, I can control it. And Tuvok, last time you said you could control it, you almost melted my brain. <laughs> It was an accident, I promise. And this time, she doesn't almost melt his brain, so she's definitely grown as a person. <laughs> Warp 5. I don't know. I mean, based on, you know, after watching Enterprise, I mean, yeah, Cisco. it went from, it went Cisco, Picard, Janeway. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's all the captains. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, there was this one know, guy named Kirk? Yeah, 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 I just realized that. <laughs> so it went uh, Cisco, Kirk, Picard, Where'd and you then find Taylor. this guy, Floyd? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or you can go to the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And while you're there, leave us a star rating and written review. We love getting those reviews on iTunes. It makes us way more visible for other users and other listeners. 
and it helps us grow the show. So thank you so much for those of you that have left us a review. And if you haven't yet, please leave us one. We sure appreciate it. And hey, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can also stream and download the MP3 file or grab the RSS link from our website. We love to hear your thoughts on today's show. What do you think about this block of episodes that we've got in season three? How are you feeling about the alien from exile? Uh, was, was that a creepy enough scene for you? Was that, was the setting there? What, what about the, the time travel explanation that we had at, in twilight? Uh, how, how did that feel? Did, are, are you okay with the explanation that we had? If, if you want to talk about the show, the best place to do that is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and join in on the discussion. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And if you'd like to send us a voice transmission, the comm officer has the frequency open. Just go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM, record your message, and Brandon Shea will add it to a future episode. Come on, please, please send us a voicemail. Brandon Shea with sugar on top. Brandon Shea no, said no one would. So let's go ahead and let's just prove him wrong. Send us a voicemail, and we'll get we'll hear your voice on the air on a future warp five. Anybody can send us a voicemail except Patrick. Yeah, they they you don't want to know, guys. <laughs> If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to the show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. And it's so cool to get a Warp 5 email. So anytime you want to send it, just send it on in. We'll read it on air. If you'd like to help us keep our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. So visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get details. You can be an associate producer if you're at the $25 a month level. If you go down just a little bit, if you're at $15 a month level, you get to be on the patrons roundtable. And even for $5 a month, you can get access to the patron zone. So Brandon, have, do we ha- what kind of new things do we have shaken on the patron zone? Oh, we always have early access to episodes there. We've got some exclusive deleted scenes and and some cool exclusive commentaries up there. You get some wallpapers. It's a pretty cool place. And uh, yeah, just at a five dollars a month donation or higher, and you can get access to Patron Zone. Yeah, we sure would appreciate that. It, you, we really appreciate any support you could give us. Uh, you'll find all the details at Patreon.com/slash TrekFM. Also, if you want to wear your Trek.fm fandom, you can find great Trek.fm merchandise at Trek.fm store. At this time, I always like to thank our co-associate producers, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, and Justin Oser. They support Warp 5 and the Trek.fm network through Patreon. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting our show and the network. We really appreciate it. Also, I'd like to thank Brandon for taking over and getting the editing done for Warp 5. We really appreciate it, Brandon. You're welcome. And also Tony Robinson for creating the very cool show art that we see. Uh, Anytime you see our show announcement, you see the show art. There you go. So, Patrick, thank you so much for coming aboard. You're actually an associate producer of a show on Trek FM. Let our listeners know which show that is. Uh, Yes, I'm the uh, associate producer for uh, Metatrex um, on the Trek FM. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with you to talk to you about Vulcan Zombies, how can they reach you? Well, they can get me on um, uh, Twitter at MagicDrop5. That's the number five, uh, all one word. Or I'm always in the Babel Conference, and uh, 
Uh, we can discuss, you know, time traveling aliens if you'd like. And Brandon, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you to talk about uh, Archer's Gray going on there, or maybe I, I couldn't remember. Did you did you like that or not? Did you like the look that he had going on there? Yeah, I think it was you know it was subtle, but it worked for me. <laughs> okay, so how could our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. Every once in a while, I poke my head up in the Babel Conference, and I host another show here on the network called Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And you can find me and my friend, uh, my friends, plural, Chris Haig and Tom Caldwell over on the Fandom Podcast Network, where we're doing a new show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we've had three episodes released so far with more on the way. And Floyd, when you're not trying to psychically call women to your planet of exile, where can people find you? Oh, goodness. Uh, if you can, if you want to get in touch with me and you don't make me have to use my crystal to find you, you can find me in the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So, Boomers, thank you so much for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>